0: so good to be with you all today and to just get to share with you some things that the Lord has been teaching me about the life of prayer and specifically um, what it means for us to be able to really um, come before him as his children, to come before him and to call him our father and to really mean it. To not just say it in a way that is, you know, beautiful or poetic, in a way that strikes us as, you know, deeply metaphorical, um, but from a place of, of real littleness, from a place of real vulnerability, and the more as I've been, uh, you know, studying this and talking with spiritual directors about this, I said, what, "What are you doing with this? How has this been affecting you? What have you learned?" And I said, well, "I've realized that this is really hard. <laughs> that I don't like to become little before the Father very much." Um, and I think that that's something that probably resonates with all of us on on some level for various reasons. And so I just want to take some time to come before our Father to pray that he would make our hearts a little and that he himself would would become little and reveal himself to us. Um, So let's let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with the ability to call you Father and your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for... uh, sending him to live the life that we could never live, the life of radical dependence, vulnerability before you, to die the death uh, that we all have to die and that we would die alone if it weren't for your son, and to set apart your name as resurrection and to bring us home to you in his ascension. We thank you that as your children uh, in Christ, you you have placed the prayer of your son on our lips. I pray that you would come before us, Lord. Speak your name in our presence even now. Pray that you would allow us to become little before you. That you would set your name apart from all other names that are going to distract us and vie for our attention even now. And I pray that you would use my words in that service. In your son Jesus' name that we pray and say, amen. So my wife, Catherine, and I, were, we were home recently. And you know, sometimes when you've been away from home for a little while and you get back home... Your parents get really nostalgic, so they want to watch family videos or, you know, go back to the days in some ways, like when you were a child. And so my mom was bringing out all of these old, uh, like, storybooks and pop-up books that we used to really, like, love when we were kids. Some I remembered, some I didn't. And one of them, I don't even think it's in print anymore. I was trying to find it at a library or something for this, but I couldn't even find it. It was called, Are You My Daddy? And I know it's a little sort of a weird title, but trust (laughs) me. But, uh... But the whole point of the book is that there's this, there's, this little, there's this little tiger cub. And the book starts, and for some reason, he's all by himself. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who his dad is. He doesn't even know what his dad is. And so he's going, really, from, from animal to animal. And he just keeps going up to all these different animals. And he's asking them, like, hey, are you my dad? Are you my dad? Are you my dad? And you know, some animals were, were, really, were really kind. They are really courteous. Um, like the polar bear, like we would expect a polar bear to be kind and courteous. And the polar bear's like, nope, I'm sorry, I'm not your dad. You see, I've got this white fur. You have orange fur. I've got these big bear paws. You have tiny little tiger paws. I like to swim in the cold. You like the sun. It wouldn't work. I'm sorry, it just wouldn't work out, but I really hope you find your dad. And some animals were a little bit more curt, a little more rude, like the alligator, you know, I'm not your dad, I'm an alligator. Come on. You know, we would expect alligators to be rude, too. But, um, but really, it's sort of a sad, like a really sad child story. I didn't realize how sad it was until I was reading it again. Because it's literally animal after animal for this whole book. And he's all just like, hey, are you my dad? Which is like such a heartbreaking question. And uh, they just keep saying, nope, sorry. Don't have a place for you here. It wouldn't work out. Good luck. You know, even if they say it rudely or whether they say it nicely. The bottom line is, for the whole book, pretty much, they just keep saying no sorry not your dad and you know as the book goes on and on uh, i'm sure that the tiger cub got exhausted i was getting exhausted i was wondering who was going to find his dad and you know we sort of with him start to feel more and more alone as he moves from animal to animal faces rejection after rejection we start to feel a little bit hopeless with him we start to wonder is he ever going to find his dad is he lost forever or is he living in a fatherless world? Does he even really have a dad? And children's books, I don't know, sometimes they hit you on like a deep existential level or something like that. There's something about like the little, the way that when truth is really put into a little form, um, sometimes it's, it's truer than when we, when we try and wax and, you know, go into all these high sorts of depths of explanation. But that book to me as I was reading it, it confronted me as I've been wrestling with my own Uh, struggles in the life of prayer, Um, it confronted me with the fact that our hearts, all of our hearts, my heart, your heart, our hearts all cry out like baby tigers. They all cry out like baby tigers. They cry out for unconditional provision. They cry out for unconditional love and affection. They cry out for unconditional belonging. They are created by a father to love the father, to be his, to be little before him as his children. And yet, in most of my daily life, and I'm sure maybe in most of your daily lives too, um, we can't seem to find him very much. If we feel a little bit like that tiger, uh, sort of like we're moving from place to place in our daily routine, longing for a connection with him, longing for communion with him, longing for presence, his presence. And we can't seem to find him anywhere, and we get discouraged. We experience what we think might be an answer to our prayers, and then it doesn't come through. And our hearts start to harden. We pray, and we're really, we're really hoping that maybe the Father will make himself known, that maybe we'll hear something, we'll have an experience of his love as our children, and yet we just feel emptiness, we feel cold. And a voice that sounds way too much like, like our own voice, a voice of unfaith, starts to work up in our mind and start saying, do you actually believe any of this? Do you really believe that there's a father out there for you? Do you believe that this world was made by a father, that you were made by a father to be his, to be little before him? Or maybe you're just living in a fatherless world. And cynicism starts to grow in our hearts. And one thing I've learned about cynicism is that it's the great stiff arm to the praying life. Any success that we can make in the praying life any, any attempts of the Father to draw us into his presence can easily be stiff-armed by a posture of cynicism. If we experience answers to our prayers. We just start to assume probably what happened anyway. We see the, seamless, the seeming senseless suffering in the world. I think that really hits you in a special way when you move to the city. You see a suffering that doesn't, that doesn't appear to be redemptive and that doesn't seem to be treatable. And the longer you live, you start to experience maybe a little little bit of it yourself. And we just can't help but to wonder if the Father actually exists at all. Or if he does exist, is he a monster? Does he actually care for us? Maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he isn't involved. Maybe he's actually just looking out for himself. Maybe that's all that he cares about. So when our vision of the Father becomes blinded by cynicism... We tend to relate to him, I found, in two different ways. And I believe that Jesus is addressing these two different false postures of prayer, false postures of relating to the Father um, as he begins his teaching on prayer. We tend to be anxious. We tend to be anxious before the Father. We feel that if there is a Father out there, then we've got to work really hard. We've got to power up to get his attention. We've got to put on a show. We've got to say all the right words. Got to use all the right Trinitarian language to get him to love us and to hear us, to accept us. Or maybe, uh, maybe you do both of these things, but I think another thing that we do is we enlist fill-in fathers. So as we're praying to our, to our heavenly father, we're already skeptical that he actually hears us. We're already skeptical that he's actually going to answer our prayers, that he's actually going to do anything about it that he's actually going to provide for us. He's going to allow us to have an experience of his love and his affection. And so what we do is, in our mind, we already start trying to generate other, what I call fill-in fathers, other people, other objects or other places that we could go to to try and get the provision, the love, the belonging that we're asking him for. But in our hearts and our minds, we really don't believe that he's going to show up and do it. So we've got to power up. And we've got to impress other fill-in fathers who can give to us what our Heavenly Father won't give for us or can't give to us. So a fill-in father, it might be a boss. It might be a boss that uh, you're telling yourself uh, explicitly, maybe implicitly, if I can just get this person to like me, if I can just get this, this high-profile person to like me, if I can prove myself to be an asset to their company, an asset to their project, then they'll take care of me. Then when the time comes and I call on them, they'll have my back because I proved myself faithful. Then I'll be able to move up or maybe be able to move on to my own project, to my own uh, vocation or desire that I'm, that I'm planning out. A fill-in a father doesn't even have to be a person. It could, it could be an object. It could be money. If I can just get enough money, then I'll be able to rest. I'll be able to have peace. Maybe I'll be able to pray better because I won't be distracted by all, by all these questions about, you know, wh- where's rent going to come from? If I take time to pray, I'm not being productive. I'll be able to pray better. I'll have peace. Maybe if I, can just, if I can just work harder and get more and more money, then I'll actually be able to be a blessing to other people. I'll be able to do what the Father wants me to do. Then I'll be able to be generous. I'll be able to bless those in need. If I just dig deep, if I push forward in my task or trade, I'll get the kind of money that I need, to live simply and comfortably. Not not lavishly, but just simply and comfortably. And then I can rest, I don't have to be anxious. For some of us, it it could even be the uh, fill-in father of knowledge. If I can just become the smartest person in the room, if I can just read all the right books, then, then people will respect me. Then I'll be able to have that sense of self-dignity that I've been longing for, that I've been wanting. Or maybe if I read this book, my doubts will go away. This is going to be the book that's going to cure my doubts. This is going to be the book that will actually teach me how to pray. And instead of just reading about how to pray, I'll find that I actually start praying. But the thing about fill-in fathers that I've realized, and maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've realized that this is the case too. Fill-in fathers can never actually fill us. Fill-in fathers won't actually do. And we know this on a deep, intuitive level. Fill in fathers will never offer us any permanent sense of unconditional provision, unconditional acceptance, unconditional belonging. They may provide for us. They, they 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 may actually provide for us. We may start to experience some of the things we hoped that we would. But it's always at a cost. And we start to realize that over time and fathers, they'll provide for us, but it's always, it's always at a cost. Their favor is never free. We've got to work for it. We've got to work for it. And then, you know, we, we start to get anxious. Um, we, we start to get anxious about paying rent. We start to get anxious about if we're actually going to move up in our job. We start to get anxious uh, about if when we move to this new city or this new neighborhood, If we're actually going to be able to make friends and find a community. And so we figure out that what we have to do is we've got to turn on the charm, we've got to power up, we've got to hustle to please these fill in fathers, to show them that we are worth having as their children. There's no place for helplessness, there's no place for littleness before fill in fathers. That's not how the relationship works. And it's here. It's here in these postures of prayer, these postures of prayer that, um, that call us to, instead of uh, getting little, that call us to get big. Instead of powering down, becoming weak before the Father like Jesus, call us to power up. It's in these false postures of prayer that Jesus meets us and that Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to pray to his Father. He says, He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we see even here, he's saying, don't heap up all these empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think that they're going to be heard because there are many words. The, the word many in Greek correlates to, to anxiety. There's a sense of they feel that they've always got to have this excess before God in prayer. They've always got to lift up um, empty, in a real sense, empty words, empty works. They've always got to prove something because there's an anxiety, a deep seated belief that if they don't perform well before, before God, before the Father, they're not going to be accepted. Their prayers aren't going to be heard. Their needs aren't going to be met. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like people who stand and act like they're praying, who act like they're talking to the Father, who act like they're giving him their deepest needs, their deepest longings, when in reality, what do they want? They want to be seen. And they're hoping that by standing in front of other people and acting very holy, acting very pious, that then these other people might give them what they want, which is to see them, to know them, like us, even as they're, as they're sometimes praying to God, even as they're, they're working for fill-in fathers in a real way or, or praying to our real father, asking him, please provide for me, please help for me, what they're actually doing in their prayers is, like us, in the back of their mind, they're already trying to get their need met somewhere else. Instead of coming before the father and saying, I feel the need to be seen, I feel the need for affection, I need a place of belonging, so I'm going to find that in you, they come before the father with lavish words, hoping that other people might see them, might give them the affection, the praise that they're longing for. Jesus teaches us instead how to pray with peace, not with anxiety. He teaches us how to pray with peace. He teaches us instead of powering up for a false image of God or for false fill-in fathers to try and manipulate them to answer our prayers, he teaches us instead to become little. He teaches us to become little before the Father in prayer. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus brings us into the arms of the Father, the only Father, the Father of Jesus, who can actually quiet our hearts, who can actually answer that deepest question, are you my daddy, are you my father, and what are you like? Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He connects our anxious hearts to the love of our Father in heaven. He turns us away from fill-in fathers. He turns us away from images of God who are going to make us work for it, images of God who are going to um, try and make us be unreal about where we're actually at, who are going to make us offer up empty words and empty works that don't mean anything for us, and he connects us to this Father. He says, when you come before the Father, the actual Father, you don't have to power up in your words. You don't have to power up in your works. But you're actually able to power down. we are able to become weak before him. You don't have to perform. You can power down. And hallowed, hallowed is a really interesting word. It talks about how uh, he desires for this father that he's talking about, this father who, can, who, who embraces us in Christ unconditionally, who provides for us, uh, without without measure, who actually knows our needs before we even ask them. He connects this to the need for that Father's name to be to be hallowed. And and hallowed means really just to make to make holy or to set apart. But I always thought before this sermon, this sermon that when we say, hallowed be your name, it was really like a almost like a, a declaration or a form of adoration. Like Father, you're holy. Thank you for being holy. Like, oh, we just want to say, Father, your name is holy, and, uh, and we love you. But it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a declarative statement. And it's not, it's not even explicitly necessarily a, a form of adoration. Adoration follows. But first and foremost, we see that it's an imperative. It's a command. Jesus isn't saying, oh, Father, holy is your name. He's saying, Father, show that your name is holy. Show that you are Father. Show that you are set apart from all these other gods, from all these other fill-in fathers who make us work for it, who make us live in a constant state of anxiety, who want to make us get big instead of getting little before you. Show that you are this father. Make it known to us. And it seems a little backwards, even a little weird when we think about it. I think most of us, I felt a little uncomfortable with the idea of we are commanding God. It just seems backwards, you know, that we would command God or that the child would command the parent. That's just not how it works. If that's how it worked in, in my house, I probably would have gotten a spanking most of the time I tried to, you know, command my parents around, Mom, make me lunch. Make me, make me lunch. Um, but we see that... Um, It is. It is meant to be evocative. There is something really evocative about this, that Jesus is not just saying, yeah, you know what, it's okay if you do that, but he's actually commanding us to command the Father, to make himself known. But it's a boldness that we're given in Christ. John Calvin says that to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray our Father. Why? Because who else would be so bold as to do that except for Jesus Christ? And who else would be so bold as to do that except for people who have been adopted into the family of the Father in Jesus? Other than that, it doesn't make any sense. Other than that, it would be rude. Other than that, it would be unacceptable. It would be backwards. But, but the fact that we are really the Father's little children isn't something imaginary. It's not something metaphorical. If it was... This would be unacceptable. But this isn't mere metaphor. This is just the reality of what it means to live in the Father's world as the Father's little children. This is what it means to be adopted into His family. It's a boldness that we receive when we contemplate the fact that in Jesus' life and death, He entered into our own loneliness, He entered into our own anxiety about the future, he entered into our own anxiety about the present. How are we going to be provided for? He entered into our doubt about the, about, he even entered into our doubt about the goodness of the father without sinning. And he entered it all the way to the bottom. In his resurrection from the dead, he set apart the father's name once and for all as the father who will not abandon us to death, as the father who will not abandon us to despair, as the father who will go who will will go to all lengths, at all costs, will bring his children home into his bosom. And in his ascension into heaven, he has actually drawn all of creation, all things, back into the arms of the Father. As he went back up to the Father's arms, he took the whole world with him. This is the ground for our boldness to pray our Father. This is the ground for a boldness to come before God and to command him to reveal himself to us here and now in our day-to-day situations in need as our Father who loves us, who provides for us, who offers us a place of unconditional belonging, a place that we've longed for but we've never been able to find. And so as I was trying to think of a way to sort of like, the way that we see this, this sort of dynamic, how is it acceptable for children to, to command uh, their parents um, and where do we see this, you know, um, in our own lives? The the image that kept coming to me as I was praying about this, what does this mean? What does it look like for us to command the Father to make himself known in a way that's not, you know, in a, in a real way you know, disrespectful, but is has all this boldness that Jesus is trying to offer us is, I don't know, maybe this didn't happen to you guys, but I think it's a pretty common experience. Do you guys remember when you were uh, a little kid and you were lost in the grocery store or lost somewhere, you know? And it's really confusing, especially when you're really little, because all the adults just look like huge trees. You can't see any of their faces at all. And sometimes it's really embarrassing because you go up and you grab the wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) And all you can see is, you know, the apples, the candy, the oranges. You can see all the stuff on the bottom, but you you can't see the faces of of the adults on top. And so you're lost. You're scared. And so what do you do? You don't say, yes, you are my father. My parent, you are out there. You are great. You are a great parent. (laughs) That's not what you do. You also, some people say, oh, you know, that the imperative, it's not really a command. It's just sort of like a a plea, a soft plea. But that's not what you do either. You don't say, hey, uh, Dad, if you get the chance, could you come get me, please? (laughs) I really appreciate it. No, what do you do? You say, Dad, Dad, show yourself. Where are you? (laughs) Dad, come get me. Bring me into your arms. Where are you? Show yourself. I need to see you. That is how we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, the quieter of our hearts. Our Father, the one who can offer us that that place of unconditional affection and belonging and provision. that We've been longing for our whole lives that we haven't been able to find in our own efforts that's only exhausted us and the fill-in fathers and other people we've tried to find it in? That's how we speak to him. We say, I can't find you. I can't. I'm too little. Make yourself known. Let me see you. Let me see your glory. Speak your name in my presence so that I might see you and so that you might come down to me and lift me up into your arms. That's the kind of boldness that Jesus wants us to pray with. The kind of boldness that doesn't look like powering up. That's the kind of boldness that the fill-in fathers demand. That's uh, That's the kind of boldness that we demand of ourselves when we need to get things done, when we need to be our own fathers. The kind of boldness that Jesus teaches his children is the boldness to power down, to become little, and to cry out, to command our father to come and care for us as his children, because that's who he is, because that's who he wants to be. So how can we practice this prayer privately? How, how are we going to practice it as a church? How can we practice it uh, in, our, in our own day-to-day lives? I'd say privately, if, you wanna, if you're praying the Lord's Prayer in your own uh, personal time, in the morning or in the evening, I would say, you know, taking Jesus' advice, Go to a quiet place, go to a a place of of solitude and detach yourself from all of the arenas in which you would need to perform. All the arenas in which you would need to show yourself worthy. Enter into that quiet place. Enter into that place with him of solitude and allow yourself to be seen by him, to become little before him. Enter into a time of, of silence. Jesus says, your heavenly father already knows your needs. Of course, he wants constant, I believe, even verbal communication with him. He wants us to speak with him. There's power in words. But I think especially to begin to heal our hearts, sometimes what we need is to to actually be silent and to rest in the reality that apart from any of our thinking, any of our anxious thoughts, apart from any of our anxious words, apart from any of our anxious behaviors that signal for people, hey, come save me, the Father actually knows our needs. Other people might not be able to read them out, if we were quiet, if we were still, but he actually knows them. And then to listen, to listen to him in that silence, to not just be quiet, but to actually listen to him and pray, Father, even now, set apart your name in my heart. Set apart your name in my mind. And then I would say to, to take a psalm, take a psalm like 130 that we read today. I mean, that's a real psalm of David saying, I'm in the pit, come and help me. This is who you are. You promised that you would do this. Come and help me. I would say this week, even if it's just one day, go to that quiet place, go to that place of solitude, enter into that silence, and then pray that psalm. Meditate on that psalm, or meditate on Psalm 103. I believe one of of my favorite psalms to meditate on, God's fatherly goodness and his provision for us as his children. Meditate on it, let it get inside your bones. Let that be the script that you rehearse. In our parish, we're having prayer meetings where we're coming together, and we we really intend to bring our needs before the Father as his children. We intend to, to cry out for him on our own behalf, on behalf of our church, on behalf of Uptown and Chicago. Father, make yourself known here. Make yourself known in the life of our church. Strengthen our unity. Let us see you more clearly. Work in Uptown. Let us see flourishing in Uptown. Let us see flourishing and reconciliation, and redemption, and resurrection in Chicago. We're crying out to you. We're commanding you. We're asking you. This is who you've said you are. This is what you promised we're going to do as your children. We're going to become little before you as a congregation, and we're going to cry out to you and ask you to show yourself to us. And then in your public, ordinary daily life, in many ways it's, it's hard, but it's, it, can, it can be very simple, whereas before, if we experience any sense of anxiety, if we experience any sense of need, if we are tempted to go before one of our fill-in fathers and to power up to show that we can do it, to show that we are worthy, to show that we are worth a place of belonging, to actually in that moment, instead of powering up, use that as a gateway, use it as a door to become helpless before your heavenly father. Use that need, use that anxiety as a doorway to enter into littleness before your father and to ask him, Father, I need you to show yourself. I need you to come and save me. I need you to come and help me and reveal who you are because I am tempted to stray. I'm tempted to look for your love elsewhere. I'm tempted to think of you as actually a mean, angry, ogre father instead of the loving father of Jesus Christ who would hold nothing back to bring me into your arms and to provide for me when you feel distracted, when you feel taken away from his presence. You can pray something as simple in your own words as, Father, hallow your name here and now, in this moment. Hallow your name. Speak your name in my presence. Speak so I might see you. Petition him here and now to make himself known to you. Call out to him and say, in this moment, in this place, in this arena of my work, with these people that you've placed here, set apart your name. Let me see where you're working because I'm tempted to draw myself away from your presence. I'm tempted to power up. Or I'm tempted to shut you off. And allow him to enthrall you with his glory. Really open yourself and allow him to enthrall, yourself, enthrall you with his fatherly goodness. Open yourself to, to allow him to reveal himself as your father in those ordinary aspects and arenas. Of your ordinary daily life. This is the kind of boldness that we are given to share in as the brothers and sisters of Jesus and uh, as his father's children. The kind of boldness that Jesus lived and continues to live, of utter dependence on the Father and of seeing his name set apart in all places. Look at the birds of the air. Look how he provides for them. Oh, I know he's going to provide for me. Look at the ladies of the field. Look how he clothes them in splendor, and yet they don't dress to impress people. They don't undress to try and earn status. I know that he's going to provide for me. I know even now, he's revealing himself to me as the one who is who is this father for me as well. This is the kind of boldness that we are given to share in, the boldness to become little before our Father, to power down, the boldness that knows who our Father is, and like the writer of Hebrews says, allows us to move towards Him to draw near to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the, the kind of grace and boldness to learn with the rest of the church, with one another, what it means to call out to him, to command him, come to us and make himself known to us in our need with all the boldness of little children. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.